Welcome to another episode of Systematic Geekology. This is a space where we seek to create and cultivate healthy conversations between those things we geek out on and the philosophical and theological questions that often arise out of our fandoms. Like, what does it mean to be human? What makes a hero? What makes a villain? How do the stories and narratives we geek out on shape how we live in the world? We are your priests to the geeks. We aren't all ordained, but we see ourselves as mediators at the intersection of geek culture and going deeper in our faith. We don't always have to agree, but we do respect each other. And we see everyone as a beloved child of God. Everyone geeks out on something, so come geek out with us and enjoy the show. You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Are you a writer of fan fiction? Uh, perhaps you dabble in world building. Are you that person that asks questions like, what if elves didn't live forever? Or uh, even, why didn't the eagles just take Frodo? to Mordor, uh, if, if, if you're one of these people, or if you just like uh, asking what if questions, uh, guess what, dear listener, you're in for a treat. Because in this episode, we'll be asking, what if Iluvatar redeemed the Nazgul? I'm your host, Nick Polk, and I'm here with uh, the cute and beautiful uh, Trip Fuller from Homebrewed Christianity. What's up, dude? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm ready, Nick. I'm ready. Ready for some some Nazgul excitement and, uh, you know, excited to be excited to be back on systematic ecology. It feels kind of weird. I'm honored, you know, cause most of the time you host me on homebrew Christianity I and here I am, you know, on systematic ecology and you're in my, uh, in my, my podcasting room. Mm. So, well, well, I just, before we get started, I know we're going to be doing some what if here, I just want to dedicate this episode um, to Jeff Morrell, Australian actor, the man behind the character Waldrig and Rings of Power. Um, Jeff, if you listen to this or anyone that knows Jeff, just let him know that the level of appreciation that Nick and I have for his most excellent work and Amazon's Rings of Power is of, uh, of uh, it's a very, very deep. And I just want to dedicate this episode to him in hopes that he will come on Systematic Ecology with you and I um, as as we near, we near season two of Rings of Power. So, Jeff, I'm going to salute you with something really, really important. The Horn of Gondor. I know. I know. There yeah. You, you know, uh, Jeff Morrell, absolute icon, uh, probably yeah. the focal actor of the Rings of Power. And, uh, you know, we uh, Trip and I have recorded some stuff on homebrew Christianity. We did a Tolkien Heads class, and we had we had lots of love for Waldrig, uh, yes. and and that soundboard noise that you heard from Trip. We have we have so many soundboard noises from the movies, Lord of the Rings movies, as well as Rings of Power, that uh, I'm sure Trip will be busting out here, uh, and we'll be giving lots of love to Waldrig, because uh, you know, just a little bit of spoilers. But we'll get into it more at the end. We are going to be asking, what if Waldrig? was a Nazgul or becomes a Nazgul and what happens yeah, if we he's don't redeemed? Know. We don't know. So, uh, yet what if, yeah, what if wait for the epilogue? We don't want to trigger the book purist. Yeah, it's true. By talking about rings of power. 
<laughs> that we've All lost right. half the listeners. Hey, uh, Nick, but, what are you lo- what are you nerding out on? <laughs> you uh, nerd out on something? Yeah, yeah. I, I just saw some awesome new post on Tolkien Pop, your Substack. <gasps> oh, what'd you see? Which what uh, what post did you see? Well, you know what you do? You say to yourself, "Okay, I'm going to talk about Tolkien. What's something I'm nerding out on that I can connect to Tolkien? Do you have a D20 that you roll, and it's like all your other pop culture love that's sitting there? You roll like, oh, I think I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about. I'm gonna, oh, it looks like looks like I got a uh, look. I got to pick something sci-fi after this roll. Where am I going to go? Or the next time, you're like South Park. I'm going to get South Park mm. and Tolkien. Like you, you, you come at it from all these angles. You got one foot in Tolkien, then you're like. Then you're doing the hokey pokey around pop culture. And so that's why I think whatever you say right now is likely your next your next Substack post. Man, you know, uh, wow. I need to, you know, I've been nerding out on some uh, on some Christmas movies lately. Uh, and, uh, you know, have you have you watched Christmas Chronicles on Netflix? Have you watched oh, yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. And they actually the, the, I was nerding out on it because the second one is super epic and bring some fantasy elements, but they brought the guy who made the Dothraki language from Game of Thrones, and he made the Elvish language for the Christmas Chronicles. And there's a lot of a uh, Northern mythology wrapped in there, which Tolkien, you know, very inspired by Northern yeah. mythology. And uh, I need to do a Christmas Chronicles Tolkien pop article. So, uh, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Yeah. Well, uh, I... I just finished last night reading um, the Father Christmas Letters with Cora oh, and Haven. Hell yes. You So you like got to the end? You like just finished finished them up? Last night. Yep. How did they respond? And, oh, great. Great. They wrote Father Christmas and I've already written back in character. And Cora's concerned because Santa's handwriting is shaky, but shaky just like mine. Um also, I've I I'm excited about the new. I'm really I'm really enjoying the Immortal Thor comic book run. Um, I think it's about five in, and just started the new Jason Aaron Batman, uh, one. And we've obviously just rewatched the Lord of the Rings extended edition because we recorded a three plus hour preview podcast. And some people were like, "Trip, why did you and Nick and Craig record?" over three hours setting up a rewatch of the extended editions. And I was like, you haven't even finished the first movie at three hours. It really is a preview. It's just right. a preview. It's really just to test your endurance, you know? Yeah. 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 You, and after you, that, we're going to we'll do a post 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 uh, holiday binge watch of Lord of the Rings extended edition podcast. Yeah. So include if you listen to uh, the podcast uh, on homebrew Christianity on uh, on on the regular podcast feed or the YouTube channel uh, and then the post uh, whenever we get done with Christmas, you're going to have like 24 hours worth of content with that in yeah. the extended edition. So a whole day of Peter Jackson's The Lord of the Rings movie trilogy. I mean, we're just we're just givers in that way. Givers, you know? givers, givers. You're welcome, people. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, you know, Trip talking about Father. You're talking about Father Christmas, and you know, you're literally uh, embodying, you know, Tolkien's uh, parenting style, and it's it's pretty pretty cool. Uh, for those listening, Tolkien wrote his children Christmas letters uh, as Father Christmas, aka Santa Claus, uh, all throughout their childhood, 
and they're published in a book. They're very wonderful and charming. Um, yeah. We talk a little bit in our a little Christmas uh, episode on Lord of the Rings. So, uh, so with that, with with what we've been nerding on, on uh, let's let's jump into our little episode on what if the Nazgul were redeemed. And first off, I'm going to give a little summary of who the Nazgul are, how they became Nazgul, and how they became Sauron's chief agents in the Lord of the Rings. So. If you didn't know people, if you haven't watched Rings of Power or if you haven't watched the movies or done a deep dive, uh, the legendarium uh, of Tolkien's Middle-earth is split into three ages. First age, the world's created. Thousands of years go by. Uh, Second age, uh, you know, one of the big baddies, Sauron's uh, boss, is defeated and the second age happens and then Sauron's defeated and the third age happens and then, of course, Sauron gets defeated again. Uh, in the Lord of the Rings, and uh, the Third Age ends. So the Nazgul pop up in the Second Age when Sauron starts coming around and making cool rings and starts deceiving people and starts trying to be uh, the ruler of Middle-earth after his mm-hmm. uh, his dark daddy leaves the world by Iluvatar, the god of Middle-earth's hand. And, uh, you know, th- the way that Sauron gets recruits people is that he lies to them and corrupts them. And so he finds nine ruling men, humans, dudes who are ruling different kingdoms across Middle Earth. uh, And he makes these rings by himself with the power of the one ring. And he deceives them and tells them that they can have all the power, all the glory, uh, if they wear these rings and help them out. And so... We don't really know much about the Nazgul and their nature uh, or who they are, where they come from. We know three of them are Numenorean rulers that are like different kind of magistrates or whatever who rule in different Numenorean outposts. Um, And Numenor are uh, Aragorn's ancestors, by the way, people. And one is an Easterling uh, by the name of Kumul, and he's the Witch King of Angmar. And so over time, these rings corrupt these kings, these humans, and they lose their physical form and they become like basically pure spirit um, and are kept unnaturally alive through Sauron's power. And they basically become enslaved to his will. And uh, throughout the second and third age, they basically go around doing Sauron's evil deeds, dressed up in, in black robes, or sometimes they're actually invisible. And uh, sometimes they even like take off their ropes and sneak across places and do some spy work. So um, there's if people are like, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings, very wholesome, maybe a little, maybe a little nudity in Lord of the Rings, you know, be careful. There's hobbits. But it's taken always back. in the invisible world. That's right. That's right. Unless there's yeah. hobbits, hobbit nudity is fine. You know, they take yeah, bats. The and body sing hair. Bats. Yeah, that's body right. You can't see nothing. Yeah. Nah. Still, still rated PG. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you can't you can't tell you can't see anything with the with dwarvish women anyway because they got they got body hair as well yeah it's that's what tolkien was planning and he was worried that eventually people are going to adapt him in a different areas and he's like i got how am i going to keep it you know ready for the catholic where the only time heart and hearth get connected in certain ways is obviously in the sacramental space of the bedroom then he's like well we need to make sure there's hair on all of our big protagonists yeah lots things, of hair things were written before the 80s so you know tolkien very much into body hair 
and we'll uh, we'll we'll leave it there before we go off the yeah. rails. You're um, welcome. You know, one for people that hear that summary and only experience has been in some of the movies and such. This is why when in Fellowship of the Ring, when you see the Nazgul, they're running around on horses that obviously haven't been treated well, considering how creepy they scream. And um, you got like the hood and such, but uh, and the armor, but you don't really like see faces and stuff like that. That's because they've been around for a long time. Um, and one of the other elements that people may not pick up, right, they start out, you get in the films, oh, they started out as men, nor mortal men. Um, but but like they've become more controlled by Sauron over time. They've become more entrenched right in the in the power of, of, of Sauron's kind of evil purpose. And what was happening in that time? They became less and less material. I would just like to pause there for a moment. One of the big things about Tolkien, because he's actually like inspired by like basic monotheism is material reality created reality is good and valuable and that um when one uh, dissipates escapes and becomes less and less attached to their materiality to their groundedness to even the natural frames of life right like even the way the ring affects bilbo it felt like butter spread over uh too much toast um this kind of thing uh it is detaching from the given natural goodness of the flow mm. of life, of materiality to embodiedness. Um, and, and so like, think of that. The ring wraiths represent uh, in many, many ways um, to the desire, perverted human desire for power over against the recognition of the gift of Iluvatar, which in the question, the what if, can Iluvatar redeem the Nazgul? Iluvatar is like the one big god. Like it's the monotheistic deity that's there. Obviously, this happened in the in this is the story that happened in the third age before Jesus. So you don't know you don't know who Iluvatar is yet, uh, but it it coheres with with um with the big with this Catholic vision that animates Tolkien, and so materiality, natural created goodness is something to be cherished, defended. Your relationship to your garden, to your neighbors, to your uh to to the earth, to the land, all these kinds of things are sitting there. Um, and, and I say that because a lot of people could naturally hear the framing of the question, oh, the redemption of the uh, Nazgul and think that redemption would just equal, um, you know, like them getting loved by a Luvatar again. Hmm. The story of 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 breaking away from a Luvatar's uh, gift uh, is really breaking away from the boundaries of your finitude. Um, what is the gift of humans, Nick? that elves and dwarves uh, uh, have lots of little debates about. Uh, man, I just want to point out systematic ecology listeners. You, you've, you've probably experienced trip, but this is what happens when you have a professional philosopher of religion who loves Tolkien come on and expound on the nature of, a, of human uh, human nature in, in relation to uh, a creator God in the monotheistic world of middle earth. Um, but you know, the Tolkien in, at least in middle earth, brings this kind of classic dualism where it's material and spirit. But unlike a lot of stuff that happens with dualism, as Tripp pointed out, that um, instead of the material world being bad, it's good. And uh, Iluvatar gives humans the gift of death. And part of their natural, mm -hmm. um, I guess, just being is that they live in the world to influence it in a way 
that is in line with the will of Luvatar, which is good. And uh, once they die, which, you know, many people here will know that elves are immortal. They do not do not die in the same way that uh, humans do in Middle Earth. But once they die, their fate is not determined by the natural flow of the world, I guess. I don't know the right word for that, but it's it's basically the natural ability of humans to uh, shape history and even the afterlife in the way that they want to. Um, as long as they're kind of jiving with uh, with with Iluvatar's uh, mm-hmm. will, goodwill for uh, for Middle Earth, yeah. You, you know, recently I've I'm in the middle of rereading the Silmarillion, and um, and something kind of really struck me in it that might even really help thinking about this question. Uh, if if which I know y'all have done the cosmology. Uh, origin story series. So y'all talked about the origin, like the creation, uh, the music, uh, music imagery that's used in creation in Middle Earth. Um, But as the first four or five chapters, it kind of lays out this kind of strata of of creatures, some function um, like the Maiar or or these high deities and such. You could think of them functioning very similar to like how Greek deities did. They got different jobs and responsibilities and such. And um, most of the time they cooperate. They might have their little disputes. Oftentimes they have a pairing, right, where there's some other um, kind of demigod who it could be their partner if it's a male and female dyad or uh, the relationship between air and water or whatever. But it's a way of talking about like there's all these different responsibilities for the functioning of Arda, Earth or, or, or creation. Right. Like the de- the deity has now um, uh, invited uh, a multiplicity of responsibilities uh, to uh, to have this web of relations that set the framework. Uh, you could imagine that happening and then he that Tolkien's sitting there reading like the beginning of Genesis and says, well, I'm going to get in the beginning, you know, first day light. But then it gets to let the earth bring forth and let the waters. Right. Like you can see this shift in the days of creation um, to God speaks it and calls it out of the depths. Uh, and there's this and then what has been invited into the creative enactment then gets its own agency and they create let the earth let in and, and, and Tolkien's like, great, that's a that's an excellent it's an excellent thing to give in deity. I really hope they don't go make dwarves behind my back because they get so excited about my creative status, my act of creating. Right. Like you could just see these kind of layers. Right. And then you get to. um um, the, the, the Maiar, like people like Gandalf, the wizards and such, they get embodied and things, but they kind of function like, uh, uh, like elves, or not like the elves, but like, uh, angels. And then the elves are kind of like closer to that. They have this deeper stewarding and they're so grounded into the rhythm of life. They're attached. Their, their life source is attached to the functioning of earth, um, of, of that, of, of the natural world. They have the serial longevity and they are the ones that carry the origin light in them. And then nourish the light that's there, uh, but the, it, but all of it is set to bring in the maturity, uh, the the human beings. And the human beings get a couple things: the gift of death. Uh, they have a beginning and an ending, and unlike elves, and unlike so many of the other uh, the things that are higher, they have a level of freedom that allows them to resist 
the call, the, the music, the will, desire of God, and to embody it in creative ways, creative ways where you could get into a situation and I don't know, um, um, it, it, there's like a new eruption of it. And the only way it works is because there's all these layers of creation, all these other entities that are a part of it. But at the very heart of the music from the very beginning, and even these other deities didn't anticipate it was this like this crescendo where this creation, everyone supporting and nourishing, there are creatures that can both know themselves as created beings and will individually and collectively to bring new expressions of the divine music into being. That's what just, that's what's sitting there happening in this story and that in, in, in Tolkien's fascination with things like you catastrophe, um, uh, these kind of events you don't see coming uh, and and they're kind of like eruptions of grace in the movement and flow of history. Those kinds of things are attached to human beings doing and embodying the very responsibility that unlike the other sentient parts of creation, uh, they have the simultaneously gift of freedom, the gift of death and the gift of life structured in community. So what what is, what does that look like? Well, it's sitting there. And that's when you ask the question of like, could Iluvatar redeem the Nazgul? Then you have to say like, well, who are the Nazgul? They are these things that, you know, lost their materiality, given over to the rings uh, that have sought to control them, warped into the purpose of of Sauron, like resisting just like his big baddie daddy uh, Morgoth did, like the, the desire of Iluvatar. But they also have a dignity that Tolkien could never take away from them. It is above the pay grade of any finite thing to remove the image of God uh, from something God made and gave it to. It is very clear when you read the Silmarillion that that is the unique thing that, that Tolkien's trying to get at, a dignity of the human. What are these beautiful eruptions throughout Lord of the Rings? Uh, Faramir recognizes it in his enemy. Right. Um, oh, you, you, you well, they're the, they would tell a story. These enemy we just killed where they're the hero in it and wonder what they left home and are killing for. Right. Like you see this kind of notion of redemption throughout Lord of the Rings is grounded in a dignity that's given by grace by the creator. And it is above the pay grade of Gandalf, Sauron, Morgoth and whoever the hell it is to erase it. Right. So I think. If if we are asking this and Tolkien sitting here, he would be like, well, oh, why, why are we doing this? Look, do you know, you know, you might get me to have to rewrite things and then I might turn in to George R. R. Martin and never publish a second half of this. But uh, I bet he would hear this question just like when he got a letter and it irritated him uh, when people were like, well, what about the orcs? Like, why are they just little rocky flesh murder bots? Like, well, what about what about the fact that all good thi- all creation is created by a good and loving God for a good purpose? Where where do, why did you get out of this? Where do they come from? Right. So the question about the redemption of the Nazgul could Iluvatar right is even the way the question's framed. What if Iluvatar? Uh, I think Tolkien would have to go. Well, I know we have to come up with a way it could happen. Yeah. Otherwise, I have to I'm I'm have to treat this like the orcs that there's something about my universe that I am dead set against Mm. because uh, any creature that was given the original grace of creation bears the image of the divine and no finite being, even Sauron himself 
can take it from them. Anyway, that was my opening rant about why I like the question. Um, there you go. No, it's awesome. And and I think that, you know, I loved how you connected the re- asking can and should, or at least should there be a way for the Nazgul to be redeemed and connecting that to the orcs? Because as Tolkien, when he finished the Lord of the Rings, um, he the rest of his life afterwards, because he was an older man when when the Lord of the Rings was published. Um, and after the success, he originally wanted to publish the Silmarillion first. And people are like, this is too out there, kind of crazy. People won't read this. And so, of course, you know, after the success of the Lord of the Rings, they were like, yeah, just give it to us when you're done. Um, and instead of uh, finishing it, he, Tolkien explored the na- like philosophically and theologically the nature of his world because he did as you said trip say like oh the orcs are created by god and therefore have an inherent goodness we have to do something and the same with these nazgul who are humans um who have this natural ability to choose um even beyond uh their um even beyond the evils that they do. You know, we see Gollum, who is a a hobbit, but hobbits are a subset species of men, essentially, and have the same type of capabilities. And so I think we, it'll be a good thing to dive into, like the nature of, um, you know, redemption in Middle Earth throughout the history. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, I think we'll ask, has Iluvatar redeemed anyone else or positively intervene on behalf of someone that went beyond their normal capabilities or nature. Um, you know, and I think we could, we could go on for forever, but I, you know, I, one of the things is that it was interesting that Tolkien's God, Iluvatar gives Morgoth redemption first, you know, even at the, because Morgoth falls, destroys, tr- attempts to destroy all of creation, making it more beautiful. Um, and his, uh, destructive destructive acts and even after destroying and causing um you know creation to attack itself and basically plaguing uh all of middle earth with hatred and deceit aluvatar brings him back to uh valinor and says why don't you come back help us rebuild you know uh which is just crazy um yeah. and you know we talked about how tolkien is a little more open and relational uh friendly maybe even process friendly um and how the god of middle earth uh redeems the devil and a lot of people in the outside world say that the christian god um and it's classical in different forms does not redeem even satan uh uh anyway well, i just want to hear yeah it's always a good point just to note here that while people may think that that's off the table for christians it's not origin right. like uh the early church theologian um the guy that worked out the inner logic of the incarnation that his predecessors uh um well his students then used to develop the doctrine of the trinity uh in the first systematic theology written in church history's book called on christian doctrine or the first one we have he has a whole list of these are just the basic apostolic teachings one of them freedom another love right created goodness And so he's like, well, obviously a free and loving God that wants people to love God back freely will just continue to pursue them before, after death, all this until everyone's redeemed. But I'm not sure about Satan, but I'm optimistic. That was Origen's position. Right. And and I think you can see that kind of thing at work when 
the original big baddie Morgoth doesn't get destroyed, doesn't get annihilated. This gets put in like, you know, uh semi deity timeout. And 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 then gets set free and then you yeah, gotta go back in timeout again. Um but what was what was off the table was the elimination of the potential of redemption for the original big baddie. Uh and so the, I don't think we can take off the table the limit like uh the redemption of you know perverted by the power of ring humans so if you'd like to support our show on captivate feel free to go to captivate.fm and um find our show subscribe you'll get access to any future online D campaigns over there you'll get an extra bonus question for four to eight times a month you'll get extra content like that through there um you also get a one-time donation you could make to help support the show right on Captivate. So you don't get anything for the one-time donation, but if you would like to just support the show once, do a quick donation, you can do that through Captivate.fm. Our overhead includes editing software, marketing, equipment, recording software, and a whole lot of other stuff. And um, we really appreciate everybody who can help keep the lights on. So when you think of that... Let's take stories of actual redemption that exist in the legendarium and and maybe some of the ones that even exist in Lord of the Rings since people will be more familiar with them. Um, What do you think of what do we learn about redemption from the story of Boromir? Ah, man, it's so good. Um, You know, Boromir is a super complex person where uh, his his dad, Denethor, is. you know, he's in charge of basically defending against Mordor. He's like the first line of defense and uh, he needs power. He needs forces. And Boromir has kind of been leading the charge against uh, the forces of Mordor as a general. Um, And slowly but surely they're kind of losing. And Denethor, we find out later, has been looking at a palantir like Saruman and Sauron seeing stones you drop your hands on. Yeah, you know, you that's that's they're little seeing. Thank you, thank you, Trip. Um, magic stones, they're basically like little walkie talkies, but magic. Um, and only certain people with certain abilities can use them. And Sauron, unbeknownst to a lot of people, has one. And Sauron has been throughout this war, has been manipulating Denethor into despair. Um, causing him to do rash things that is going to bring about the downfall of the kingdom of men in middle earth. And so Baromir, um, basically on a whim goes to Rivendell, um, seeking counsel and seeking help, um, because they're, they're losing in the war and finds out that, Oh wow. Okay. Frodo, this little hobbit dude that he's never seen or heard of, uh, has the ring and, they opt to destroy it and Boromir thinks it's a bad idea because they could use that weapon against the enemy. Not in a way that Boromir wants to perk himself or um, unlike the, the movies Boromir um, in the books is really has a genuine desire to not prop himself up as an individual, but to use the, the ring of power to bring about good deeds and that's how it corrupts you and uh on their journey boromir tries to take the ring from frodo right we know this and in doing so causes frodo to run away splits in in part kind of causes the fellowship to split um 
and at the beginning of the book, it's it seems bad and obviously ends up for good. Um, but Boromir redeems himself by fighting off this orc army um, that comes in these scouts that are trying to capture Frodo in the ring. And, uh, you know, he kind of by himself tries to, you know, use himself as kind of like a as a distraction so that Frodo can get away um, from these orcs and not get captured and, of course, dies doing so. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and that's one of those scenes in that in the movie. I think um, the way it like puts us present at the redemption of Boromir that you oh, only yeah. kind of hear secondhand uh, is helpful because Aragon is sitting there and and he's the one that forces the viewer in the movie to recognize Boromir's redemption. Right, Boromir sees no more hope for his people. He sees no more hope um, for their quest. And all that kind of stuff. Uh, and it's in that moment, right, in his sacrifice for Mary and Pippin and 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 such that that you unlike the books, all of a sudden Aragon like walks into right his kingly status. Um, and Boromir says, you know, I would have gone with you. Uh, and then he ends with like my king, right? And and then it's just like any semi-decent humans already teared up. Uh, at this um and i would have gone with you my brother uh, my king right oh, yeah. and 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 so like i think that's a a helpful uh place to think about the potential redemption of the nazgul because boromir was seized by the power of the ring yeah he uh he he probably was seized in a very similar way to the nazgul because he while he's not a king um, he is the son of the steward of Gondor, which, you know, is one one step below and has been for a thousand years or so. Um, and uh, he he gets redemption uh, by sacrificing himself for the good he just worked against. Right. So to me, one of the things out of the Boromir thing, if we're thinking about the Nazgul is to say um, in what ways with the agency that they have left given right detached from material reality and all that kind of such, what ways uh, could their, uh, could their redemption be signaled by an enactment, even if they think the enactment was a failure that it doesn't ultimately lead to redemption. But the point, the redemption for Boromir was not that, like he didn't know that he was buying time for Sam and Frodo uh, to get across or to set up uh, this, you know, the hunt of the orcs who take Mary and Pippin. And that leads to the whole distraction of the two towers uh, chasing the wrong hobbit. So they sneak into more like it, all that kind of stuff. There's no they, they didn't know any of it. There's no way to think about it. But the but the, re the redemptions recognized uh, in the the act of Boromir, uh, Boromir to sacrifice himself for the well-being of those he betrayed. And so like one mode of redemption would be na the Nazgul do something like that. Yeah. Oh, I love that connection, especially with Boromir being in the line. He's not a king, but he's in the line of stewards and has a right to, um, you know, to a certain extent, rule the kingdoms of men until Aragorn takes a spot. And, and a responsibility to do it right like right. his logic it's even more clear in the book is why if you have x 
and we have a deficiency of X, right? The power to resist Mordor. Are you going to go destroy it in some stupid? You, it's like he's like hey, you don't just walk into Mordor. Yeah, you just not, you just don't walk in there with the very thing they're looking for. It's like I'm not saying Elrond and Gandalf have a drug problem. I'm just suggesting they might have relapsed on something because this is dumb. You know, so the like I think Boromir is sitting there and uh, as one example, um, the the other people might be familiar with. And again, how the movie plays it out actually don't, isn't as helpful as the book um, as the king is the king under the mountain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they have like an ancient story. They have lost like the Nazgul materiality. They seek the gift of redemption is the gift of death, right? That which they've refused by uh, their, their an oath. But how different is an oath abandoned to a power seized when uh, both of them involve forsaking one's responsibility uh, and such? But yeah, tell me, t- tell me what do you, well, well, maybe say a bit about the backstory for people that only have seen the movie and whatnot, but how that story where we see them given the gift of death, which is redemption in this world, like what could we learn from that story? And and you're talking about the specifically the Nazgul, right? Or are you the king under, or well, are you no, talking like about the king the under the mountain? You're talking right, about like dwarves, some, right? You're talking about Thorin, right? Oh no 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 no, or the ghost army. Oh, the, the ghost the, army. You're right, right, right. Yeah, the Sorry. king under the mountain, like yes, and yes. Argon's like, oh, you know. Um, but yeah, there's a whole backstory to it of them breaking the oath, uh, yes. uh, with a Sildor and such. Right. And so there's a group, um, in the second age, right before Sauron is defeated after this, the last Alliance, there's a group of men, uh, that are, um, kind of in between there. There's these groups of men throughout middle earth, throughout its history that one team up with the good guys, Two, team up with Sauron uh, for various reasons. Or three, like many people, just kind of, uh, like many uh, nations or, or things in the midst of global conflicts are just kind of in the neutral zone. Mm-hmm. And this realm of um, this, this, me- this group of men, the king under the mountain, um, you know, their realm is within the land of Gondor. Okay, so Gondor had these multiple kingdoms. And so we've got Gondor, right? Minas Tirith that people are familiar with as a whole land. And up north where the hobbits were, there was actually a kingdom as well. It was called Arnor. And so there was a whole history there. And um, so this this group of men were in the realm of Gondor and they were basically living uh, in the realm in service to Gondor, right? It's very medieval in that way. You live in this land, we'll give it to you as long as you, uh, as long as you, uh, aid the kingdom when when they need it, and uh, like many things, when the last alliance happened, uh, who is going to be able to take siege of Mordor? If you've seen mm-hmm. the beginning of the of the Peter Jackson movies, I mean, it looks impossible, right? Um, and even like uh, Galadriel's narration, right? Camp Kate Blanchett talks about when almost when hope seemed lost, uh, a sealed door took up his father's or his father's sword, right? And cuts off the ring of Sauron and uh, sends the armies fleeing. And so, but these men uh, saw that it was hopeless and they bailed. And, um, 
you know, they even in death. So because they broke their oath, which in in Middle Earth, if you take an oath, you basically take an oath on a Luvatar's name and a Luvatar's like, I'm going to hold you to that. Right. Um, Even if they don't know who even if humans don't know who a Luvatar is, that's just kind of the natural way oaths work in the legendarium. And so um, they die. They are. You know, the reason why this is fun. I didn't. I think this is in nature of Middle Earth or for some reason, I think this you might say, Trip, you're making this up. But the reason why, right, is uh, is that ultimately Iluvatar has given you existence and will give you death. Uh, and so you cannot you cannot make an oath upon yourself that's not grounded on a on the gift of Iluvatar. So if you break an oath, uh, you're, you're it's like you're uh, disregarding uh, the very dignity of your existence. So it's an offense to Iluvatar. Uh, because like uh, Luvatar, that that's that's like part of why you see in um, uh, in the Council of Elrond uh, when they're trying, you know, getting around uh, deciding what to do. He doesn't tell the Fellowship to make oaths. Right? He's like, no oaths. He's seen how oaths have gone wrong. Uh, oh, Elrond's yeah. been around a while, uh, but no, no, no. It's an oath. It's a fr- your friends, and you're going to follow it. You know, you're going to go. But we're not making oaths because you don't know what that obliges you to. Because what an oath is grounded in, um, a grounded in a in in the self, which is itself a gift. Anyway, so that's no, great. It's it's true, and um, you know, we won't go too crazy into the back, but in the in the first age of Middle Earth, elves make oaths, and they become in this catch come in this catch twenty two because they at the end, uh, the sons of Feanor, who are a group of elves that end up creating all kinds of messy situations in Middle Earth, um. They don't want to fulfill their oaths because it's going to cause people harm and themselves harm. But they're in a catch-22 because they've already kind of uh, thrown away their dignity, quote-unquote. Um, and they ha- and Iluvatar's like, well, you made it, You got to do it. And yeah. uh, if they don't do it, like you said, it's this kind of like, uh, I don't know, this paradox of there's just you can't return to Iluvatar if you don't do it. You're damned if you do, damned if you're down if you make O's, essentially. Um, and, we, and that's throughout the begin, even the beginning of, uh, of of Middle Earth. And so these these men, uh, one of the cool things too, and we can talk about how redemption also is extended through human beings as well mm-hmm. and through others. And Iluvatar doesn't just kind of intervene supernaturally, but someone like Aragorn, um, who you know, kind of at least speaks Boromir's redemption and recognizes it. Um, mm-hmm. Also has the capability to, because he's the rightful uh, ruler of Gondor, is able to meet the king under the mountain and the dead army and um, hold their oaths fulfilled, right? And in doing so, uh, channels almost this uh, gift of Iluvatar, and is a, which is so crazy to think about having the authority to be like, yeah, I, I speak on behalf of Iluvatar. Your O's are fulfilled, which he doesn't explicitly say, but that's essentially what's happening in the background. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, and they, they, uh, they do, and they've fulfilled their O's and, uh, you know, go to the halls of Bandos, perhaps go beyond that, um, live out their destiny as humans and, and, and free will. Yeah. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Yeah. No, um, w- while the actual contribution uh, ghost army makes in the books is different than in the movies right um the uh i hold your oaths fulfilled bit and you see the king under the mountain exhale 
as he die, you know, spirit dissipates or whatever. And that's the first turn of a smile and relief. Um, and, and that's, that's why I'm, it, I think it's important. Uh, yeah. Why I was trying to emphasize at the beginning, part of the dignity of human beings is tangled up in the gift of death and the gift of freedom. Uh, and, and then that that's a space for a kind of reciprocity between the unique way humans bear the image of Iluvatar and, um, uh, in that kind of like intersection, um, the, the, the one other, the one other place that I think is helpful is to see, is to talk about the potential redemption of Gollum, yeah. which we know for, uh, Tolkien, right. Just like reworking the, uh, the orcs, right. To match a kind of vision of the world that coheres with a, a one good God as creator, um, Another thing that was very important for Tolkien and one of the hardest scenes for him to write, you can see there in the rewriting, but also in him describing it, is the near redemption of Gollum. Mm. Uh, and so when we think of the power of the ring, the one ring and what it's done to Gollum and the potential redemption, I think that's evidence for the potential redemption of Nazgul. It didn't have like that ring on him. Uh, and uh, what was it that kind of set up this moment? Uh, how was it? What was the intervention that kept it like kind of like tell us that story, emphasizing the parts where if we were asking about the redemption of the Nazgul, um, we might see a potential pattern that could go different than ultimately what plays out with Gollum. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, oh, man, Gollum is such a once you dive deep into the history of how Tolkien wrote Gollum and even seeing how Gollum redeems himself, but then also turns back. And if he doesn't turn back he wouldn't have been able to the miller would not have been able to be saved because of frodo's you know quote-unquote failure um but there's tolkien was a man who wrote things that didn't weren't necessarily consistent throughout middle earth um and it gives it a sense of realism that when we ask these questions about um you know death why do bad things happen why do people act certain ways? And sometimes things just don't make sense. And Gollum is this case where people argue throughout the um, fandoms as well as like academic literature on whether or not Gollum was enslaved by the ring and whether or not he had the will to do anything but go after the ring. And so lots, of course, people talk about the orcs and the servants of Sauron, do they even have free will or are they enslaved by the power of the one ring? And of course this extends to the Nazgul, but we see as Gollum um, is, who has also like a ring wraith been kept unnaturally alive. Now he still has his body unlike the Nazgul, but they had the ring for probably about four, between like 2,200 and 4,000 years or longer perhaps. Um, but as opposed to like Gollum's 500 years. And so Gollum has this for 500 years, he's been alone essentially with the ring, with the power of the ring and its corruption. And um, when he builds a relationship with Frodo and Sam, uh, even in his ill will towards them, uh, because he's with, first of all, Frodo, who's a ring bearer. So there's empathy that goes along there. And even um, Gollum's observation of Frodo and Sam's loving relationship, Gollum begins to 
guide them to Mordor and actually questionably in some cases actually genuinely looking out for their well-being in multiple places not just guiding them to Mordor so that he can take the ring um and you know I, I don't know if you that and of course he gets there and Sam in the moment that Gollum is um he sees Frodo while Frodo's sleeping at one point and genuinely tries to reach out to Frodo similar to how Sam and Frodo hold hands right and 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 have physical connection Gollum's looking for that same thing and in a complex way um Sam you know accuses him of doing evil and it breaks Gollum and Gollum decides to not be redeemed and uh, Tolkien said that this is one of the hardest things he's ever written to the point where it made him cry while he was writing it I think and uh um I don't know Gollum redeems himself in the end by acting acting um in line with his des- evil desires for the ring um and dies um but I don't know I don't know I I, I I don't know what you think about the complexity of Gollum experiencing the gift of death you know in that way um after he destroys the ring ironically um and what that says about redemption for him um even in the midst of his willing something that's not redeemable like Boromir per se yeah well I mean I think Gollum in uh at the end functions similarly to something like Judas and in the reflection on it, it is a you catastrophe and then you know the betrayal is also the mechanism of redemption um and the fact that pity is what is put back in pity for Smeagol in a sense uh in the story and that 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 identity of Smeagol uh, the identity of Smeagol is something the ring couldn't conquer in a hundred years, you know, of holding it. Then one wonders uh, is uh, what is the identity of the ring wraiths? Um, and the, one of the, the amazing things about both the book and the movie and Andy circus reading the book is my favorite, but like, cause he obviously does the cool voices from the movie and you get more of the, uh, more of the Smeagol uh, Gollum character. Oh yeah. Uh, all the texture that's there, but um, you get the real, um, a, a beautiful description of how even people that, if you just told their story in the way it connects to the big story, they're problematic. Yeah. They're uh, on the bad team or whatever. And yet Smeagol's reality never is fully erased from Gollum's character. This person who had the power of the ring sees him and find his birthday present, but also murder um, and such. And, and, and I think that is uh, if the, if the one ring of power can't erase the identity, the created identity of Gollum, then it's hard to imagine lesser rings are going to repeat it. Now, then I thought you tell me what you think about this. This is, this wouldn't even end my like rants. I sent you in text message and just thinking about this, but if we have to ground it in the story, right? Like if I'm like, I'm like trip, look, look, you're just a, you're just all down for open relational love and redemption. And I know you're trying to save some Nazgul's potentially Uh good luck. Right. I, I, I can think some people might be thinking that, but let's eat, let's take, let's take, let's take the big, the big, big Nazgul encounter 
uh, on the battlefield. Um, what happens? Like, uh, you know, he is got little flying dragons killed, gets off. Uh, and, and you get the scene, right. Where he is proclaiming out loud the story that binds him to the ring and defines him. Uh, like you, I can't be slain by any man, right? Like he's like, I'm, I'm the king of the Nazgul fool. Do you know what you're messing with? It's just like my entire identity is wrapped up in this story. It binds me. It defines me. And yet it has limits that, that he didn't anticipate. He didn't anticipate um, like uh, that. There's going to be a hobbit who happened to have interacted with some mysterious spirits 700 pages ago. Uh, and, and Tom Bombadil helped him out and was like, you should take around this first age, uh, dagger and function as a sword. So you can stab it, uh, <laughs> at the right time. Right. Like think of all, he didn't anticipate that he didn't anticipate on the battlefield, uh, is a female, not a male. Then you go, I am no man. Right. And you see his destruction in that. But, but what if you take that not as like he's ultimately a baddie, there's no potential of redemption, but to say that what has what is so corrupted them as they dissipate and have less groundedness in their materiality and all these kinds of things is that they have so internalized the story that the ring defines them, that it binds them these limits, that they couldn't even anticipate something erupting from the outside to reorient and reveal that what they think is the full truth about themselves, that there's actually other realities and potentials around it, mainly a hobbit with a first age blade and a female who's just like wrong genitalia, smackety ackety right in the eyepiece. But what you, you see what I'm saying? Like the part of what corrupts with the rings uh, is that people can't define themselves outside of it. Uh, you start to call it your precious. You start to cling to it. You can't imagine anyone else even holding it. You don't know how to hand it on. So like everything we learn from the power of the one ring and it all is kind of serving this whole other agenda. I think uh, that 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 one particular Nazgul's fate um, kind of reveals how uh, it, it keeps out an imagination of otherwise. Well, what if the otherwise wasn't something that Ill ends in their death, hmm. but could end in their redemption? Oh, so good. Uh, so good. I am. Um, you know, the, the thing that the villains in Middle Earth throughout, we get Morgoth, Sauron, Saruman, Sauron. The biggest thing that they bring about, the biggest thing for them and what brings about their demise is themselves. And so the hubris um, that comes along with it. But at first it comes through desire and isolation and so that this is the only thing they could desire this is the only story that's available to them that's the only story that can be told throughout the land and they are the only ones who can tell the story properly right sauron is trying to order things in the way that he sees fit um as opposed to morgoth who is more just destroying things uh, so that he could be the sole ruler sauron at least wants to corrupt things so that he can order things um the way that he wants to. And, you know, the Nazgul, you know, we see Baromir who we see the initial trappings of what the ring can do. Right. And we talk about the natural responsibility and the good behind wanting to use the ring. Right. Even Gandalf says, I would intend to use this ring for good, but it would, it would do something. It's more, it is the power that it has would do something evil within me. Right. Um, and, 
um, the Nazgul, um, who have less, who are pro- like you said, I really like the the connection between Boromir because Boromir isn't as learned in the lore of Middle Earth as Gandalf. Also, hasn't been around since its literal beginning. Uh, but um, the Witch King um, of Angmar actually hundreds of years earlier was part of the Northern Kingdom of Gondor called Arnor. Was part so when you see like Weathertop in the movies or read the books, that is like a uh, a ruin of the kingdom of Arnor, the northern kingdom of Gondor. And the witch that's where that's where the hobbits light the fire and it attracts them. If people don't have their map of Middle Earth on their on their wall, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If they're like, I normally come here for the comics. Now they're like naming kingdoms from other ages. Yeah, they're like Weathertop. What is this? Uh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> It's a red-haired comedian that uh, likes to play in the town of Bree. Yeah, hundred percent. Whether yeah, <laughs> he throws potatoes against the wall. That such a great deep cut to to carrot top, uh, Middle Earth weather top, baby. Let's go. <laughs> uh, so uh, so yeah so but the Witch King hundreds of years before is the reason why the Northern Kingdom is in ruins. Okay, and so. Glorfindel, who's an elf, who's also been around since the beginning, uh, helped other alliances of elves and men to defeat the Witch King, right, and defeat him. Um, and they go to kill him, or at least defeat him, like like Eowyn does. And Glorfindel says, "No, uh, uh, he cannot be killed by the hand of man." Okay, and so because what the Ring does is that it shows you reality, but twists it in a way that fits your narrative. And so the Witch King actually repeats some of the prophecy to Eowyn, who says, you know, in the movie, it's no man can kill me, but by no man can, you know, can I die or something like that in the books. Um, and by, he's speaking the literal prophecy of his doom. Um, but I think, you know, what would be interesting if he actually recognized that as like Glorfindel's words and, and seeing that um, obviously he can be killed by man, but that, um, that his, his, that Glorfindel's story comes from like Iluvatar, right? If this, instead of seeing it in his own way and seeing it through only the eyes of Sauron and the way of power and hubris that I wonder if, you know, at least this, how far gone they are, they may not, because even Gollum, after 500 years, can't resist. He still has the betrayal thing. I like the connection to Judas. So I wonder if the Witch King would, if his redemption would look more like hesitation or, you know, he wouldn't have killed Theoden or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Well, you know, and 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 perhaps, oh, this just copped in my head, Glorfindel, you know, he's, he's uh, when you meet him in, in Fellowship of the Ring, um, and he, since he doesn't play a huge role in the movies, uh, and he's not nearly as attractive as Liv Tyler, um, you so know, some true. of his, some of his action gets, uh, outsourced. Um, but, uh, he got sent back, right? Like Glorfindel, uh, you know, his, his elfishness, uh, elves have that serial longevity, but he, he dies and then get sent back yeah elves can be reincarnated folks yeah um and uh but not lots of them have but it's always a potential yeah um and and so like what if that's like a mechanism Mm. right for for redemption uh where the 
um, where the Nazgul, like, because they've, like, so clung to this perversion of themselves, right? Like, they've entered the spirit world, uh, no longer grounded in their material reality, all that kind of thing. Um, like, what if there's a, uh, a reintroduction to their materiality of sorts? Mm. Um, and because a lot of times we frame <clears throat> in the West redemption in such a modern Protestant way that we think redemption's really about like you, like, are you redeemed mm. and right with the God as you see it? But biblically and, 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 and for most of, most of church history, redemption is primarily about who God is and God's character. Like, is God of history, the one we call good and loving, ultimately going to be good and loving? And so redemption is the is is primarily about the demonstration of God's goodness. So when the evil one has sucked out, not just like well, not even giving you the gift of death, but so corrupted you, you're you're alienated from your materiality, um, like perhaps instead of the serial longevity reincarnation thing, the, the, whatever the turn is that where they part with the attachment to the spirit world and the power that's gained through the ring, there's a form of reanimation of their materiality in that moment, right? Where as opposed to doing where, it doesn't have to be like a reincarnation or something, but when when the power that pulls them and alienates them from the goodness of their body, it would be like like you start seeing dust and junk flying up, and they get like reanimated and take that first big breath. You know, something similar to like the not the book version, but the the movie version of Theoden. Uh, oh, oh yeah. go grab your sword, right? Like this kind of thing. You're in the grips of this power. What what happens when you're your humanity and your identity is reinvigorated, reanimated like a Nazgul finding flesh again, and then uh, taking off, right? Like they're the, 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 all the garments that they had to give them materiality to be there again. That could be, that could be a cool scene. Yeah. I love, you know, I think about the, like the, the, like re introduction of their bodily form. And, um, I think they would have to have somebody to, if that were to happen, they would have to have somebody. Um, and I think within Tolkien's legendarium, it would have to be somebody who was, um, Oh, you know, Tolkien does these things where there's like different degrees of goodness. And like you were talking about that, uh, that demonstrate God's goodness or Louvatar's goodness. And in the history of middle earth, that's usually been through like an elf, particularly like, a uh, uh, an elven like royal i don't want to say princess but basically like arwen um in the first age there's like this proto aragorn and arwen called beren and luthien and in the books and the movies uh, aragorn sings the lay of lathian and the fellowship of the ring and uh basically beren he's he's not corrupt in the sense of like he's like the ultimate hero male or um human hero besides a Rendell. Um, but he's a Rendell's kind of like half elven or whatever. But anyway, Bren is this man who ends up being a hero and dies being a hero 
and Luthien, who's like an elven princess, uh, loves Beren and actually goes to Iluvatar, or Mandos rather, who is this kind of Grim Reaper, kind of keeper of the Hades type of character. And um, Iluv- she's her song is so powerful and she's so pure and good that Iluvatar grants her wish for Beren to basically be reincarnated essentially or bring back from the dead. And, um, you know, even someone like that has to be connected to somebody related to elves. Like we, we talked about how Gandalf's name literally means like elf with a wand or something. Right. And Gandalf is the one who brings, uh, Theoden out of his kind of muck and reintroduces him back into his humanity. So I think that if the witch King had some moment where, um, you know, whether he made a choice to be different or if somebody of like a higher moral upstanding, um, you know, spoke on his behalf or something, um, I think they would have to have a relationship to reintroduce them. Because even um, that's how Gollum gets redeemed too, or he heads towards redemption is because he's got friends that um, who demonstrate goodness to him. And Frodo is called Elf Friend, right? So anyway, yeah. 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 Okay. So, um, I'm, I'm thinking that, uh, what, what do we, when it goes to the Nazgul, there's a number of characters in them. We don't know. Yeah. We only know a few of them. And, um, we obviously know the end of one of them. Uh, the, the actual fate of, of the others we know is all tied uh <clears throat> you know the yeah. it's all tied to the one ring right uh but but what what's the remnant of their humanity post the destruction of the rings not something we have like specific access to right um so when you think of the if we don't take one of the characters we know about then you can straight up fan fiction oh yeah one of the others and that's where I say to myself, there's a number of holes, you know, in Lord of the Rings. And if you were to say, I don't know, own, own the intellectual property rights to de- develop it into a TV series, Nick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you say to yourself, do I want to make an almost literal version of Lord of the Rings, multiple episodes per chapter, do all six books? and and basically do one of the coolest things short of the eschatological banquet. And you say no to that for some reason, right? Yeah. I don't know why you would, but okay, but yeah, yeah. you can't do that. You can't like have us hang out with Bombadil and Goldberry and cast Jack black to play him. Like you, you don't do the obviously winner. You say, um, even though there's an entire book about this, I'm going to pull bits out of Lord, Lord of the Rings text that I do have access to and invent a story that sets up for, Lord of the Rings. And you're like, well, what are we going to do? We, 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 Oh, there's a lot of rings, right? Those are important Lord of the Rings. There's these other rings. We should tell the story of the rings. Oh, yeah. Which would include all the Nazgul, right? Oh, yeah. So we only got a few of them. We know we got to fit in here. And then, um, but then we, then we say, oh, junk. Amazon's been doing this. It's called Rings of Power. Oh, yeah. We've only got through one season. And I say to myself, we got to be on Nazgul watch, right? Oh, yeah. And I think there's like one nomination of Nazgul watch currently um and and we why why well if you're the sour oh 
ooh, doesn't that sound like the voice of Jeff Morrell, the Australian actor behind the new, the greatest new fiction character uh, that that has graced the screen, Waldrig? Yes, it is. And you say, well, okay, look, just because just because he's a Southling, he's very into like back in the day when they sacrificed humans to the baddies and he's like, oh, we're going to get our king come back. And, you know, he's, he's very, he doesn't like the pointy eared elves. Right. Which I'm, I'm sure that that is like a, that is a violation. That's got to be hate speech. Oh, hundred percent. He's, he's tolerating all sorts of stuff at his, at his bar, but he doesn't want to get smashed around by the elves, but he knows Sauron's coming back. He's got a secret, secret sword, Sauron sword running around that he just, he hides in his barn in the show underneath in the middle of his barn he has got a bunch of apparently there's a lot of treasure under there we it, but the only thing we know that's under there that gets pulled out is his his sword hilt and you hold the sauron sword hilt it starts sucking blood out of you leaving little scars and you get all worked up the sword gets bigger as you grip it hard and it starts working it's evil on you like he's been working with sauron's evil sword for years right so oh, yeah. what he's already prepped and then ultimately adar uh, the, the elf that's been corrupted, right? And that at least Rings of Power is trying to acknowledge later Tolkien's uncomfortability with the origin of the orcs and that they all come from the one flame. You see, it's got some positive things going on. But I'm, I'm thinking like we're trying to figure out the redemption. Who do we know is most likely going to be a Nazgul? And it's obviously um, it's obviously Waldrick, played by the great Jeff Morrell from Australia. Uh, because... Adar's like, who am I going to trust? Who am I going to trust to bleed out their arm into the sword so it gets full, just full length Sauron sword, drop it in the hole in the ground that just magically can be turned and connect to a to a volcano that will explode, shooting lava down all of our little uh, uh, all of our all of our canals we've built for the lava blowing up smoke like when he works his sword into the volcano and it blows blows its volcanic load into the sky now it's so dark that orcs can just run around right preparing the way for Sauron who he's basically the Sauron John the Baptist right that is Waldrick 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 definitely going to be a Nazgul he was already pumped when Adar. He's like, "Is this Sauron?" I know he can change, change and look different stuff. And Sauron later is gonna be like, "You think I'd come as a busted up elf? Look at my handsome ass body." I had Gladril was getting all up in this piece, and her husband. We don't know where he is yet, uh, but she's definitely been married a thousand years or so. But nonetheless, she was like, "I want to take a ride on the Sauron train, right?" Like, like she was looking at him like she was almost a horse ready to go for a ride. There's a rings of power. A deep cut, if you all know just how excited she was going for a ride around uh, on a horse. But you, so you're sitting there, and you're like, okay, we're going to have Waldrick is obviously, most definitely going to be canonized. Maybe even the Tolkien estate puts a special stamp on it. Who knows? Ooh. One of the Nazgul. Well, what if he's the one that redeems, you know? Well, you know, I even think that I think. <laughs> <laughs> I th- I think that we you know as as uh, well done on uh, on a, a explaining uh, Waldrig's uh, rise to Nazgul dem, but you know with those those swords when they when they stick them into their arms they rematerialize 
almost similar to the way that the Morgul blades in the movies turn into dust. So it's like this reverse materialization, right? The other ones. Yeah. Uh, and so we kind of, I, I think there's some visual stuff there, but you know, I, it's the second age. We're late in the second age. As soon as Sauron starts making the rings of power, which we already have three for the elves, right? He's going to make nine for the men, seven for the dwarves. It's going to happen. And that's when the ring rings start popping up. Um, and right now, Waldrick's looking like a ruler of Mordor, like you said, the the John the Baptist of Mordor, if you will. Um, Prepare you the way for the Sauron. Ooh, amen. Yeah, that's why he walked around. Well, who else? Like, I'm just saying. So Waldrick, let's say he's he's a ring wraith. Yeah. Materiality all sucked out. And and. How what would his redemption look like there? So are we talking like second age or third age, or are we just talking wherever? Oh, maybe he became a ring wraith, was redeemed, and then someone else got ring wraithed. Mm, I kind of like that. I'm gonna say here's what I'll say. I think he got ring wraithed in the second age, and he redeems himself. So I think that um, you know whether he reconnects with maybe like uh, oh who's the who's the um, oh the kid. The kid um, that he asks, have you heard of Sauron? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, maybe he sees their ancestors in the land of that in Eriador that uh, that Mordor has destroyed. And maybe he's like, I got to think about the children. And uh, maybe he maybe he actually rounds up the the random kingdoms of men to bring to the last alliance. And so without Waldrig's redemption, uh, there wouldn't be enough people to uh, keep the siege of Mordor as long as it could have been to give the sealed door time Ooh. to get okay. Auron. Yeah, yeah. I got it. Okay. So little kid, Theo, yes. Theo, who's Bronwyn's son. Yes. Uh, Bronwyn is the like herbal healer type right in the Southland who's crushing on the best looking elf of all time. Um, was it? Uh, Arendor, 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 Arendel, Arendel. Okay, uh, the a very triggering for certain, uh, ethically problematic uh, Tolkien fans that this very handsome and gifted actor is an is a person of color. But nonetheless, Theo the kid, right? You see that scene when Waldrig is piecing out. He's piecing out of the Osgiliath, the elven stronghold to go like bow to who he thinks at that point Sauron was really Adar. Um, And Theo hesitates, right? So what if this redemption thing starts where like, like he's like half, you know, he's, he's like not full ring wraithed out. He's getting ring wraithed out. Like, like he's been holding his, his ring wraith sword. It's like slowly sucking more of his flesh juice out, but he's not like fully gone. Um, and, and, it, and he gets sent to do something and it's Theo who's older or whatever. And he wakes up, he's about to just ax Theo hands up in the air. Right. And it's just sucking out or whatever. And Theo goes to block it. He wakes up scared and he sees the mark from when Theo held the, the sword. Oh, yeah. 
and Theo's there holding it up as he's about to strike. Oh yeah, a kid, a little kid. He's about to strike a kid, and 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 he's he's like half ring wraith slowly dissipating, and then he sees the scar on Theo, and yet Theo's protecting the kid, and he drops the sword, and then drops the sword and it hits the ground, and he doesn't know what to do, but no one picks it up, and then. He's just sitting there and Theo realizes he knows the significance of him dropping the sword because he had he had held it before. Right. Experienced right? it. Totally. He and just like the picking up of the ring and whatnot, he drops the sword and he's sitting there quaking, Waldrig quaking. And Theo comes up and just pulls the ring off and lays it down. Oh, yeah. And yeah. And then Waldrig is like the one who like Bronwyn, who comes back with the orc head, right? Like we got to get ready. Y'all don't believe me. Look what we got to prepare for. Now, who's the one coming back to spread the word is Waldrick. And he bears the marks of the intention of, of Sauron. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. On the, gosh. Oh, Oh, with a, you know, we get some Tolkien themes. We get him being redeemed by the acts of the humble, of the innocent, of the child. You know, we get hobbits who are obviously not children, but childlike, uh, you know, bearing the scars, uh, you know, maybe showing people off a little doubting Thomas action being like, guess what, Nazgul, you can be redeemed. It's right here. It's right yeah. here. Yeah. And, and and ultimately, Saruman or Sauron has to, like, kill him because he stands as evidence uh, at, at the limitations even of the of the rings of power. Right, he resisted. Are we going to see a one v one? Are we going to see if a one v one of Waldrig and uh, and Sauron right before the last alliance? I need a I need a little one v one redeemed uh, Waldrig battle with Sauron. But what Waldrig does is he goes straight Luke Return of the Jedi. (laughs) He drops the weapon. I won't fight you, Father. Ooh, yeah, you may strike me down. so good uh yeah we just yeah it brings yeah. up power oh, goes return they, yeah. and he, and this, the show ends right like or the or the season ends before he rallies them all like he goes into the council and they're fighting right like all the different parts like are we going to unite blah 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 and he like busts in and they're yelling at each other and he pounds his hand scar obviously on display uh, on the table, and if you heard of Sauron, and that's the last line of the season before the big battle. Have you heard of Sauron? He's gonna bring them together. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I appreciate everyone who appreciated half of what just happened. Uh, don't you? Know, there was plenty of. There's plenty of. Uh, deep cut real Tolkien stuff in the in the first 60 percent here's here's what you got listeners you got you got a what if in the canonical legendarium and you got a what if in the amazon adaptation uh world so you just gotta you just got a twofer you just got a twofer you're welcome yeah and if amazon is looking for just like a spin-off waldrick miniseries nick and i are here we're totally open for development um and if you want us to explore that, you know, um, that could totally happen. Uh, Amazon I mean, Studios, I, give me some Amazon Studios money. I will absolutely uh, start writing a Waldrick spinoff series. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just saying, I'm just saying, 
like it could happen. And because when you watch season one of Rings of Power, you know Jeff Morrell should get his own miniseries. Maybe like between seasons two and three. Yeah. Um, and and all I know is we could do it for less of the budget than the first season had. A hundred percent. Because this isn't we aren't need, gonna need a lot of special effects and stuff because Mr. Morell, uh, as an actor, he just he just sucks the scenes up. Right. When he brings that have you heard of Sauron energy? We're thinking like he's functioning as like the the dialogue, like the driving the dialogue, but it's a dialogue rich miniseries, kind of like a Kevin Smith film or um, uh, 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 Rory talking to her mom and Gilmore girls, oh, right? Yeah. Just conversation rich. We need, but like th- that way he functions, he's like the antiheroes, you know, setting up his redemption when he comes in trying to get everyone rallied for the, for, for the last alliance, just throws down scar there. And then he's just like, well, how do we get that, that the, the ring? We need the mini series, mini series, Waldrick, Waldrick, Waldrick. He brings the gravitas of Anthony Hopkins or a Michael Caine or a Morgan Freeman, you know? Yeah. We, I think we call it Waldrig, maker of Mordor. Oh, it's right in the t- maker of Mordor. Yeah. Uh, and and like, what if the, we get the actor that played Boromir to do a guest spot? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and he and he doesn't know Waldrig is Waldrig, right? Yeah. And so that actor is uh, talking and, you know, he's out recruiting. Right. He's starting his ring wraithing up. Right. Perhaps. And um, Barmir character meets him and he's trying to rally people to get on Team Sauron. And he's like, come on, man. Look, uh, Mordor's always accepting. And Boromir guy's like, you can't simply just walk into Mordor. And Waldrick steps up and he's just like, I made Mordor. Just like that. And like that would be a moment. Yeah. That'd be a moment. Like who he, knows? I don't know the quality or the number of streams, but memeable. A hundred percent. Waldrick memeable. standing up, flexing with his with his with his Saruman sword suck stains on his arm. Um, flex just I made Mordor right after. He's like, you just can't simply walk into Mordor. I mean, if uh, if Marvel can do it with Spider Man, you know, and make the yeah. memes come alive, Waldrick, maker of Mordor, can too. Yeah. I, I can't say he would do all things, but sure. you can do a lot. Yeah, you can do a lot. You can do a lot. <laughs> so, uh, you know, before we before we sign off here, Trip, is there <laughs> is there anything that you want to talk about? You know, besides, I mean, yeah. you do you want to explore? You know, Waldrig Maker of Mordor further, or uh, is there <laughs> other? Is there no, other? I don't. I want to. I don't want to share everything now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair I don't enough. want him to be able to steal all of our, steal all of that intellectual property. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's gold. It's gold. Yeah, but um, but but I do think it, the like the actual question, uh, th- like this particular what if is like, you know, if you're not a member of the systematic geekology like community where they vote on what the next what if this is one I think Tolkien would have clicked. Right. Oh, like, no doubt. He's like, oh, that's a good that's a good Middle Earth. What if there's some what ifs in Middle Earth? You could just Tolkien be like, oh, you don't even get it, you know, Uh and like, oh, well, where, uh, um, where are the ant wives? He's like, well, I, I chose not to answer that question for a reason. Right. Like, why are y'all going to mess with this? 
Like what if what if the entwives were actually flowers that freestyle wrapped? Like he wouldn't be he wouldn't he wouldn't but but this one is one because I think it's exploring uh, a theme and a question around redemption that's uh, really important to him. Um, and if a Nazgul can be redeemed, uh, then I'm gonna guess uh, there's potential in everyone that's listening uh, that with the gift of their freedom and light, the gift of death, uh, that uh, that agency can be turned towards something more beautiful and just. Uh, and if, you know, uh, Paul said you could, you can't even go to Sheol to escape the love of God in Christ Jesus. And Waldrig is just, you know, potentially when the Amazon series comes out, uh, a, a fictional testimony that you, you, you can't even ring Wraith out with your, with your growing Sauron sword blowing up volcanoes of Mordor style and be beyond the redemption of Iluvatar. Oh yeah. So I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't, all I could say is just amen. Amen to the redemption of Waldring, you know? And, and uh, I think also, I think that Tolkien might've been interested in hearing what we have to say about it and maybe even uh, consulting us on a, Hey, how do I, how do I finish the Silmarillion correctly? Yeah. We'll consult with you, J.R. Tolkien. We'll help you. Um, We'll consult with him on that. If he could consult with Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) On the making, making Mordor uh, happen. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, It's like, look, you can re you can rewrite the first season. You can fix your mithril uh, origin story, but, but here's the thing, J.R.R. You got to keep Waldrick. All right. That's the only, that's the only non-negotiable. (laughs) he's gonna be like i can't have two dorans alive at the same time fine fine i already know how to fix it. you got to cut one scene and daddy doran is a ghost right. look already easy look, we've already got hours of podcasting explaining how you can fix that problem right but waldrig like has to stay waldrig yeah yeah there's a deep deep reservoir of meaning there yeah how about What about uh, what about recommendations, Trip? Do you have any recommendations for for our listeners? Anything they can oh, go Godzilla plus one. Oh yeah, Godzilla a new Godzilla movie or is it minus one? I don't know. It's, minus it's either one. okay. Godzilla minus one, amazing. I'm advocating there to be a Godzilla minus one episode for systematic ecology because it's just that good. I had no idea what it was. Elgin and I had some extra time. We were out doing a little dad father son weekend for his 16th birthday. And I'm like, let's go to the Alamo draft house. Great place to watch film. Uh, and Oh, Godzilla. He's like, cool. We can watch stuff blow up. Hardly any blowing up. I mean, there's a little bit like 10% Godzilla, 90%. Just one of the best movies. It explores like the trauma of war and violence. It explores like the way, Uh, We narrate our own existence uh, when we have kind of failed uh, in in deep ways. It explores like uh, chosen families and the life that can come on the other side of devastation. Um, It's a it it is a it is it it has these real prophetic uh, critiques of the kind of nation state justifications for military power as our ultimate um, protection. Uh, it's it it, it had I don't I have no idea if I have no idea how it got made. I started texting uh, one of our mutual friends, Ryan Parker, who's in the film thing. I'm like, this is nothing like any of the other Godzilla films. He goes, no, no, no. It like this is like the original company that owns the rights in Japan. So they get to keep making their own Japanese 
Godzilla's. And there are people like in America, I guess Sony or whatever that owns it that does like, you know, the the ones where Puff Daddy's on the soundtrack. Right. Um uh, and so they get to do this. It's just the film is so good. It's blowing up. And I had no idea went in. We thought we were having fun father son weekend. And we like walk out crying going like that's one of the best movies I've seen in a long time. So Godzilla minus one uh, go in. Uh, don't go look up any details or anything. Just go in. And if you have that friend that never goes to real cinema, he just goes to watch things blow up. Pretend it's a real God like normal Godzilla movie with great effects and take them and be like boom shakalaka. Because it's it's excellent. Have you uh, have you seen Shin Godzilla? Mm-mm. That's my recommendation. It's on. It's on. Uh, you can own it, but it's Japanese and very similar vibes. Where it critiques, you know, kind of war, the trauma of war, because it's based in Japan. And there's obviously, uh, you know, Godzilla kind of to a large degree represents like nuclear war and and things like that. And uh, it's very eerie very creepy uh mm-hmm. the, the acting is very good um it's it's got its action scenes but it's not over the top like you know kind of american kong versus godzilla type of stuff um but uh very very enjoyable movie very fun lots of homages to like the original godzilla uh back in the day but just has the special effects to do so now um yeah ah uh, nice yeah uh, so listeners, there's your recommendations. Uh, there's your exploration of what if Nazgul were redeemed. Uh, I think Trip and I are in the, uh, yeah, positive camp. Redeem those bad boys. Uh, redeem, redeem Roderick. You know, if he becomes a Nazgul, uh, which, you know, we, we think he might very well much be, uh, redeem him. 1v1 uh, Sauron uh, beforehand, give him a one-off series. Um, hire me and Trip as writers, Amazon Studios, um, and <laughs> and give us money. Um, and if you if you like this What If episode or other episodes, listeners, you can go to the Systematic Ecology uh, Captivate Patreon, give us your money, um, where you get extra bonus stuff, uh, access to voting. Uh, you can, you know, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Go to our YouTube page, subscribe. There's lots of really cool stuff on there that we do. Um, as well as, uh, you know, go find our Discord. We want you on Discord. We want to nerd out with you. Uh, what do you think? What if uh, What if the yeah. Nazgul redeemed? Is Waldrig uh, legitimately going to be a Nazgul? Is uh, the Nazgul, are they Are they redeemable? Do you agree with Trip and I? Uh, you know, tell us Tell us why you're wrong uh, if you think they can't be. Um, but we'll, we'll listen to you anyway. Yeah, come on. And, and you know, I'm just saying... Let's say that you you listened all the way to the end. You just enjoyed your Waldrig excursus, and you're like, oh, I love that junk. Then you should become a member of the Systematic Geekology community. And then with your newfound authority as a new member, you say, um, oh, it's a time to suggest what if. Here's the suggestion. What if you put Waldrig in any other of your favorite IP? That way they have to have Nick and I come back on a what if because they're like, well, who – who knows Waldring? We're like, by this point, we're going to have our contract with Amazon for the miniseries. And then they're like, well, what if, what if Waldrig uh, was actually just a little kitty that joined Slytherin, but then ultimately has his redemption? Oh yeah. Or, you know, like this kind of thing, we'll put him in there. Um, what, what if, what if Waldrig uh, got, got a time machine and, and, and to hang out with Marty McFly? Yeah. Like, what would happen if like he went back in time, not to Western time, but to the to to the middle of the second age and yeah. went and drinking at Waldrick's bar. 
Like, you know, there's so many Waldrig what ifs that, um, that I feel like that's a very legitimate reason among all the other perks to be like, I, I support systematic ecology for $5 a month because I want more Waldrig what ifs. Yeah. And, and, and maybe you say to yourself, well, what if, what if, what if y'all just do readers theater of the first episode of Waldrig maker of Mordor, the miniseries, but it's just for, just for, just for members. Like that's a potential, you know, I'm just saying, Oh yeah. I'm just saying this is, you got to drop the lure of a Luvatar right here at the end. And Help. you don't know what, you don't know what our, what, our, what our like kind of co-creative endeavor could be yeah here help us and help us keep the monopoly on discussions of waldrick on the internet <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't want anyone else nobody else can talk about waldrick you can't out waldrick you can't out waldrick who knows if a hundred people sign up then i'll show you all my waldrick tattoo it's just it's just not an easy shareable place yeah so that that's what you get listeners when you when you you hang out with us on patreon captivate you know you get a little bit more of trip and i maybe you get a little you get a little skin a little more waldrig um and you become part of the chosen um and guess what remember that we are all a chosen people a geekdom of priests Did you know Systematic Ecology has a YouTube channel? Now you do. And while you're there, you can see exclusive stuff like our comic book catch-up series, Manga Mustard, Drinks with Tejas, the companion series to our annual theme. You can go Friday Night Frights with me where I go through cryptozoology, ufology, and more. You can also go to see Spidey Swing Buys where I'm doing every chronological appearance by release of Spider-Man from Amazing Fantasy 15 all the way to the modern age. You can also find exclusive shorts on YouTube there, uh, as well as other bonuses for extra episodes that we do that don't end up on the podcast proper. So I want to see you over there on YouTube. Hello, friends. If you like systematic ecology, then there's a host of other podcasts in our network that we think you will like just as much. And so we are part of the Anazal Ministry Podcast Network, and we hope that you can hop over and subscribe uh, with all the podcasts that are in our network. Like, for instance, the homily, which is, hey, Pastor Will Rose's sermon here in Chapel Hill, North Carolina at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church. You have another podcast called The Whole Church Podcast, the OG, the originals, the beginner of it all. Yes, Joshua Noel and TJ working for unity among the church and having great conversations with the wide spectrum of those who are involved in Christian ministry and the church. You have My Seminary Life, uh, by Brandon Knight, who's discussing what he's learning in seminary, what's he is learning his theological studies and, and bringing to the surface uh, those big things that we're wrestling with and thinking through theologically in the church and beyond. There's the Let Nothing Move You podcast from Christian Ashley, who is walking through the Bible in a very Bible study type fashion and walking through the biblical narrative. You have dummy for theology. I don't think Joshua is a dummy, but hey, he's going to lift up theological themes that he's thinking about and wrestling with. And maybe there's not a lot of um, answers, but there's definitely a lot of great questions out there that he's lifting up with some great theologians across the whole spectrum of Christianity. And then there's the Bible after hours. Man, if you like to get risky, if you like to get controversial, there's this foul-mouthed preacher who goes from goes through the Bible from a more progressive point of view, challenging the status quo of the modern church. Yeah, 
yeah, you don't want any kids around with, with that podcast. And then you have the Clydes, uh, one of my favorite couples uh, that I like to listen to. One of the hosts here on Systematic Ecology, Taylor and Elizabeth Clyde, go through weekly discussions and kind of a devotional, conversational method of, of what's going on in their lives, uh, where they see God moving in their lives, and what God is up to in the world. So those are the podcasts a part of the AMP Network. Subscribe, follow, we hope you can be a part of all that great network with the wonderful podcasts at AMP.